0: rest watch podcast i'm your host and producer nick patel a songwriter publisher and music professional alongside we have david lowry and chris castle david lowry is a platinum selling songwriter and performer for the band's cracker and Camper van beethoven he currently lectures music business students at the university of georgia and is an ongoing artist rights activist chris castle is a music lawyer in austin texas where he represents artists and music tech companies and works on public policy issues for artist rights so this episode of Lord's Rice Watch is based on administration agreements. Last week, it was songwriter agreements with Abby North, and Abby North is back for this episode, but it's a little bit of a different format than usual. Um, I'm not really going to be involved in the conversation, queuing conversations with questions or anything like that. It's mainly a conversation between Abby and David, who sort of kind of went on an administration conversation that spurred from our last conversation about songwriting agreements. So I just thought I'd kind of just put something together for you all to listen to a bit more of a deeper dive into songwriting agreements. Obviously specifically this is administration Um, and Abby will talk about what administration is exactly. um, But in my most basic terms, um, an administration agreement is pretty much just that the publisher takes a royalty for administering a songwriter's catalog. They don't take any ownership of the songs, um, but they admin for them. And Abby specifically does it internationally, not just for the United States. So she has so much knowledge in being an admin publisher. And so I hope you all can follow along with that with all the episodes that we just prefaced. And. Yeah, I'll see you for one of the last episodes of Series 2 next week where we talk about the MLC, and we'll have a returning guest again for that episode. And yeah, I'll leave it at that, and I hope you all enjoy.
1: So, so for instance, for, for me, uh, my first experience as a songwriter, I was in an indie rock band called Camper Van Beethoven, and we kind of all wrote our own songs and stuff like that, and we formed a little company to hold our copyrights called camper van beethoven music publishing company right um so in in effect we were our own publisher um I mean, we formed something with that name in it right but our first experience in the music business was well it was very difficult at that time without the internet um basically to collect our rights all around the world so we signed up with a company called bug music and they were a publishing administrator and what they did is basically they took charge of licensing our stuff basically and collecting it and i believe at that time they took 20% as an administration fee i think some people got lower rates but we were a little indie rock and you know company and so our first experience was actually with a publishing administrator now that company i believe at that time, also acted as a publisher and had also co-publishing deals. So there's publishing deals and co-publishing deals. So basically what happens is then if you signed a publishing deal or a co-publishing deal with Bug Music, then a couple of different things would happen. One, they would start owning part of your copyright, generally like 50% of it. And if it was a co-publishing deal, generally people would do 25% of your copyright. So really that's, the to me, when I first learned about this, the main differences were essentially does the administrator just take a fee of the revenue they collect or do they own part of the copyright in perpetuity? So those are the main differences right there,
2: right? And and that's a great... um... Is something to look for when you're when you're doing a co-publishing deal is usually if you are one of the joint owners and then you assign rights the other part of the rights to a publisher and they're also the administrator they're not just collecting their half of the publishing share they're also collecting the admin fee off yeah. of your, your your share yeah so, they may take
1: they may take both right. Yeah, and so so admin publisher administrators most of my students that come to me they they've heard of a publishing company and they've heard of a publishing deal they might even have heard of a co-publishing deal but most of them have never heard of an administration deal even though this is most likely to be the very first deal that they get they may have TuneCore administer their publishing they may have CD Baby. I believe, I think DistroKid and all those other distributors have a a publishing administration affiliate. So uh, why don't you tell us a little more about what to look for in an administration deal? And even though most people think this is kind of an esoteric place to start, it actually isn't, it's the beginning. So what what would you look for in an administration deal? What do you think, what would you tell a songwriter to look for, things to look out for? you well, know.
2: I think that one of the first things I, I want to make entirely clear is that one of the benefits of an administration deal is that you continue to own your copyright. You are not mm-hmm. assigning any part of that copyright. And I think that's a really important thing. Like if you can hold on to your copyrights, hold on to your copyrights.
1: That's right. The main so, thing. I- so some people say the advice like I was given was. Essentially, when I first was getting into the music business, somebody, I didn't quite understand it at the time, unfortunately, but I did later in retrospect, what they were saying was, um, hold on, you know, sell, go, whatever you want to do with the record label, sell your sound recordings to them, but hold on to your pl- publishing, and essentially just get an administrator to do your work, short term, shorter term-ish kind of contracts, you don't want them too short term. And, and then if, you know, if things go wrong, the company changes, you don't like them, you know, you can eventually get out of it and go to somebody else to administer your publishing to go out and collect those.
2: Yeah, so generally we're doing terms of two to three years. Mm -hmm. And I I have people come and say, Oh, can you do a year because I, I'm going to sign a big huge publishing deal and I just need you to collect for a year. I won't do that. And the reason is that it takes a little time to get everything registered at the foreign PROs and mechanical societies around the world. And then for them to sort of kick things into gear and generally the, you know, there will be something performed one day, but it might not be for two or three quarters before you see the first penny. So from the administrator standpoint, I need at least two to three years. Um, But I don't, as like what David just said, if you know, it's a relationship thing. And if you get into a two to three year deal and then you find I don't really like the way this person is handling or this company is handling my work, you, you can get out. The challenge is every time you switch companies, there's leakage you lose you lose some money (laughs) hopefully it it takes time for the transfer to occur and you know some societies are more automated and better than others Um, but so you know if you can stay with the company for a while you're probably better off unless they're really bad at it Um, So the term, the duration of the agreement is probably one of the first things. Another one is the sub-publisher. So so if I'm the administrator, so let's say, Nick, you have a, a publishing company at BMI and you ask me to administer. In the United States, I will have my BMI publishing entity as your administrator here, but then I will have other companies outside of the united states to collect in those territories in many territories i'm i'm directly affiliated with the local society but in others i use third party sub publishers so the sub publisher is also charging their fee so one of the things i have people ask a lot is well how much are you paying your sub publishers because i want to limit how much i want to limit that and Sometimes that makes sense. Sometimes it makes business sense to say you can't pay a sub-publisher more than 15%, but sometimes it doesn't because in some territories, particularly the kind of emerging territories that don't have... um, really emerging
1: markets, uh, publishers in emerging markets. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like, like, let's say India or or Brazil or, or, I mean, China might be, even though there are very well-known and large publishers in those territories, there's a lot that's changing a lot that's changing with copyright and rights management. So you might actually make a lot more money paying a a, a sub publisher that charges 20% as opposed to a different subpublisher publisher that charges fifteen percent because the fifteen percent sub might not be as good and might not have the same relationships and the same licenses and the same. So, so to me, it's not it's not apples to apples always. So,
1: well, well I, I think what you're getting at is one of the challenges is of, of collecting your royalties. A lot of people don't understand this. You you know you you're getting royalties globally. And so you need not only publishers in other countries, but you also have to have, um, be able to collect your public performance royalties, your BMI, ASCAP, CSEC, and your repertoire, who owns what songs and what the percentages are and stuff like that, that has to be uh, transmitted around the world, right? So this is a very like important thing that uh, any publisher, co-publisher, or publishing administrator must be able to do accurately. And that's one of the reasons why you don't wanna change unless you absolutely have to, because it takes years for the systems in all those different countries to catch up.
2: Yeah. In my experience. Yes, I, I agree completely. But there's another thing which is, okay, so now we have all these new platforms that are emerging and some of them launched without having licenses in place. And then there's a settlement that occurs or a lawsuit or whatever. And there's this lump sum of money that some publishers might have access to that others don't. So that's the other, that could be an advantage of, let, of maybe doing a, a, a more expensive deal maybe with Warner Chapel, instead of a less expensive deal with let's say maybe some small independent that didn't get as favorable a deal when it right. came to that settlement.
1: Yeah, a lot of a lot of these songwriter royalties, in my experience, we are, we're not, I don't know what percentage it is, but quite often you get these lump sum settlements like, um, you know, it could be significant for a quarter and you wanna make sure your administrator, your publisher or your co-publisher has the clout and the knowledge to go and get those when they occur.
2: Right. Yep. And then there's also, this is something we learned when we started on Chain Melody, there are some societies that pay higher rates to publishers that have more activity. So, so if you go to a publisher who, I, I'm, I don't know what the figure is, but let's say a publisher that makes a million dollars, a million euros a year, they may their per unit rate may be higher than what a publisher who generates 250,000 euros a year might be. So that's a, another, there's so many variables that you have to look at and that's why I don't believe it's apples to apples, you know, the percentage. There's so many other elements. So then so then, other things to look at are, um, is like Warner Chapel has local offices in many, many territories. I don't, I have a local office in one territory. I am directly affiliated at many societies, but I don't have a local office there. And that could like, for example, I won't affiliate in Japan. I don't speak Japanese. The time zone is different. The cultural norms are different. Um, I won't do, I wouldn't do any Asian territory. just, I probably couldn't collect very much but I have a Japanese publisher who's directly there and they're really, really good. They happen to be boutique. I use Warner chapel in South America
1: um, so so what, what you're saying is basically, you know, like an administrator or any publisher often has to rely on other publishers and other. So, so really, like your administration deal, if you get an administration deal, really that administrator may have many other publishing companies in different parts of the world yeah. to administer them. And so that network that that administrator Publisher co publisher has, that's really important. It's Hugely I think. important. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Important. and and I mean different territories. Like for you know Warner Chapel, just because you're there, Warner Chapel, Warner Chapel in Brazil functions a little differently from Warner Chapel in other territories. They're a little more relaxed. They're a little right, and and also in South America, there's this company called Back Office, which is kind of an intermediary between DSPs and PROs and managing data. And so um, it's just, it's helpful to ask a lot of questions when you're getting into, it, when you're entering into these types of deals to get a sense of how, how those companies collect and, and also talk to other people who work with that company to see what their experiences have been. Um, so, so we have the term, we have the, you know, the duration, we have the sub-publisher network um, rates. So, so rates like the different income types. So we have performance in general, a writer is directly collecting performance because there's that so-called writer share, so-called publisher shares. So usually the performance part of a songwriter deal is is, di- is different from the other royalty types. In an admin deal, I'm collecting the publisher share. So I do sh- split, right? Based upon the terms of our agreement. Um, for me, for me uh, I almost always have all of the royalty types or income types at the same rate. Not always, but often. Some companies will charge more or less for, or for mechanicals. Also, if you are a songwriter who wants a publisher that's actively pitching, both for cuts and then for sync, that's another thing to look for. And and what how much do they charge for that? Because so you're,
1: you're saying a, a, a publisher or administrator who is who actively works your catalog rather than passively collects on uses, actively works your catalog to performers television film video games and everything okay
2: and yeah. those those services cost money you know you're not going to
1: charge get- more the administrator charges more for that do they the take administrator- a larger fee or what are they they generally they-
2: take a larger percentage for what's called procured sync so mm-hmm. if i pitch the song mm-hmm. and the sync occurs because i pitched it that's called a procured sync i went out and got it so i get paid for that i i might whatever. It might be some sync agents are getting 35%. Some are getting 50% of the sync fee. Um, But if it's something where somebody just calls me up and says, Hey, we want to license song X, that for me would be the exact same. You know,
1: so you wouldn't charge extra because you didn't, but you passively accepted a a license then. Right.
2: Right. Um, And that's another, you know, another thing is when you have somebody licensing your deals, right? Papering your deals. If you're, if you don't know, if, if you're brand new, you might be like, okay, do whatever you want. But I think it's a good idea to look at the sync licenses that your publishing administrator, the form, right? The template to understand their language and make sure that it's, an, it covers you well enough. i major publisher. I mean, professional publishers know how to have language that that is comprehensive and and protective but i mean i see a lot of sync licenses that just have really unclear uh, unclear and potentially dangerous language so i think that's that's something to look at um and also like i think that the relationships i think all like in most businesses but particularly in this business a lot of this comes, a lot of success happens because of the relationships. So if your publisher knows that you're, if, if, if I call a writer and say, Hey, I have got just got a request for this scene and they need a song that and recording like this, can you do it? If I have a writer who says, yeah, I can have it in a week or I have another one who says, yeah, maybe I'll see if I can try it. I'm going to the one who says, I can do that in a week. And, and that's and for me to know that that person, that writer, that band, whatever, to know that that person, that entity is um, they're on it, I, I absolutely will rely on them. And that happens a lot. I have several composers, particularly on the production music side, who I know I know they show up. and, and we have we've had, you know, right now probably a 10 year relationship that's just continued to continues to grow.
1: So typically what are your fees? I mean are you, you don't have to give me like or just in general in the business what an administrator typically take? Like for instance I mean I pro, it's probably out there what is like a like one of these really basic things like you sign up for TuneCore and it's got an extra box do you want us to administer your publishing, right? What what do you think they're taking?
2: I believe it's 20%, maybe 25%. Yeah. Mhm. Um, You know, in the old days, like 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 25, 35% was very, very standard. Then cobalt came along. And when this is...
1: Cobalt, explain what cobalt is, right? That's the biggest kind of administrator out there, right?
2: Yeah. And they were... I think they now are 20 years old-ish and they were very technologically or technology oriented and the thesis was if if most of the admin process can be successfully automated then we can charge less in admin fees Um, and that was a really great theory but it turned out that it's still actually really expensive to do music publishing administration because even when you can automate a lot of it there's always always the need for the human being to manage, you know, review bad data. Uh, some of the works registration a- aspects have to be a human being entering the data in the first place, whatever. So I think that there were, my understanding is that there were 5 and 10% deals at Cobalt, uh, and, and now they're not so happy about that. They, I believe, are more in the 10 15 percent range
1: i have a i have a friend who um isn't has hasn't very iconic album um and it's probably gold but it's like one of those things it was like a slow burn they might even be platinum now you know like a 30 year slow burn <laughs> and um he got a really low rate from from Cobalt, like one, mm-hmm. like probably very close to five percent. I don't know exactly what it was. I just happen to know this. He told me about yeah. it. Yeah, so they essentially they Cobalt admitted that they kind of regretted giving him that rate because that should have been for like a, for something that moved a lot more had, had a lot more money. You know,
2: my was, fear, my fear in doing a five percent deal is you're going to get five percent service.
1: Well and I think that's what you do end up getting with those deals that were too low. Right. There's it's basically difficult to get service because I think they've they struggle, you know, having, you know, you got to triage, you know, who's earning the most at 5%. So typically I was I was always told a, a publish, uh, publishing administration deal should be somewhere between 15 and 25%. Like I said, when I signed up in 1986 or whatever for bug music, it was at like 20%. It might've been more than that collecting overseas. I don't know right. if they took this Some territories. I think they had a sub, they were a publisher, yeah. but some territories, they weren't, they had a sub publisher. So that could end up being, uh, pretty, pretty low, basically. I, I mean, yeah. uh, the, your royalties ended up being pretty low if there was like a ter- uh, publisher in Greece, say, right. taking 20% and then, you know, uh, Bug yeah. Music then took their 20%. Now you're down, you know, at, you know, 72. Wait, no, you're below that 60 something percent, you know, is what you're really 68%. I think- I'm doing the math wrong on that, actually, but-, mm.
2: it's, but it's, it's, One of the things that's a lot different now as opposed to 1986, are these pan territory licensing deals. Um, So usually pan European, but now they're in more territories, including South America or maybe Asia, whatever. Um, And and the ability to specifically carve out the digital mechanicals. So the streaming mechanicals or streaming or download mechanicals um, and, assign them to one entity that is licensing for this whole territory. And that can, A, reduce the fees because it is mostly automated. B, it can speed up the amount of time it takes to receive your money. Um, And C, it can be more efficient. It can be a better situation. So, so I'm actually exploring that now for my own catalogs, trying to determine which there's, there's several, there's Impel in, in Europe, there's Mint, which is the CSAC, Suisa and Suisa is the um, Swiss PRO and then CSAC is here in the United States. And, uh, and I feel like they have one other that they're with, but I can't remember. So, so Mint is another option. Um, And then you sign up for that
1: just to get mechanicals. Is that what that is?
2: Those are those are digital mechanicals.
1: Yeah, so it's basically an administrator, but a narrow set, a narrower set of your publishing income. So it's your digital. uh, Yeah. Mechanicals, yeah. And,
2: and like I said, that, that can create efficiencies that lead to more money for you, more accurate accounting and speedier collection of your money. So there can definitely be value. And that's different from, you know, that was not, <clears throat> excuse me, that wasn't available in 1986. Um, I think uh, the, uh, I, so I tend to lean toward advocacy. I tend to, I, I I don't want to charge people too much money. I'm not trying to still, you know, take their money. I want to provide them the opportunity to make as much money as possible. But what, with that, one of the things I do often suggest is if it's a songwriter, not a film composer or a TV composer that is creating lots and lots of cues all the time, but somebody who, let's say, is doing creating, writing 10 or 20 or 30 songs a year, I, I recommend that they... Handle their own admin domestically because they can handle registering 10 or 20 or 30 works. And that way they get to keep for most, you know, most United States based songwriters, most of the money is in the United States. And and the place, places where it's much more difficult for them to collect are outside of the United States. So that's another thing I do recommend is if you can do your own admin in at least the United States or maybe even United States and Canada, you probably are in a better overall situation.
1: So what that would be is to, and you can do this because I've done this um, to have, in fact, I have one right now, uh, X north America um,
2: and North America for you means
1: Canada and the US.
2: But not Mexico.
1: Not Mexico. Should I think about that?
2: Well, uh, you know, that that's <laughs> I, sometimes that North Well forget. I mean, Mexico's really, really hard to collect in.
1: That's that's what I but, but yeah. anyway. So that's what I do is I carve out Canada, US. So for instance, for um, my indep sort of the my non-big albums. So that's like 16 of my no, it's more like 23. Uh, wait, so it's uh, uh, 19 of my albums. The songs, I'm like basically 19 of my albums. I collect in the U.S. and in Canada because I can get the I can register with the MLC. I'm directly affiliated with the PRO, and then the only other stuff is basically going to be um, sync uh, sync licenses um lyric reprint which i have a small deal for lyric reprint you know um and then so it's the rest of the world i don't know anything about so i'm affiliated with cooking vinyl as an administrator for everything else now my big albums are um through warner so uh warner chapel mm-hmm. right and they get everything in the world you know and that's yeah. most of the money Cause the way, you know, your hits tend to end up being 90% of your revenue. So, right. um, so that's, that's what I do. And I administer it myself. And then I just have an ex North American deal yeah. with cooking vinyl publishing and they go and they seem to do a pretty good job and they're getting bigger every year and they're activating more territories. I, I notice I get royalties from China. That's now, great. You yeah. know, like not, not much, but it's a it's yeah. line item now. Yeah, you know, well, that's, and, it's really
2: good. And I, I mean, see a
1: lot more like uh, Middle Eastern stuff coming yes. on. And uh, uh, that, that's pretty interesting, you know, like where things are coming online. I see a few more African things coming through uh-huh. now, you know? I don't know?
2: Well, so, I mean, that's, it's like Sasem, which is the French PRO. They do a lot of collection in the Middle East and then also mm-hmm. India um, in terms, and Africa. Like, so, so these markets are sort of, I guess like France, you know, pretty easy reach to Africa, makes sense for Lebanon. Because of the like,
1: colonial he- heritage, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I, I think uh, the other thing to keep in mind is that there really are 10 territories from which most of your money is coming from, no matter what. It, assuming that you're a Western artist um, yeah. and that might- If you're a
1: rock. For me, yeah. rock. well, you, you'd say what they are. I was going to
2: really- say, I mean, of course, U.S. and Canada, but then yeah. we have France, Germany, U.K., um, Italy, Spain, those, Australia. Those, those are really big territories and you want to make sure that you're covered well there. Like if you can get the top 10 territories covered, you are likely to collect, I'm going to, I'm making this up, but maybe 85 to 90% of your money from those 10 territories. And so that.
1: Yeah. So like for me, just as an example, my catalog uh, goes, yes. Like us, Canada, UK, but then oddly is Spain for me. Mm -hmm. It's just always been a really strong territory. And then it goes back and forth between Germany and Australia kind of being, you know, the, right under that. Um, and then, you know, my low countries are generally good for me. Um, you know, that's Belgium, uh-huh. uh, Holland. Um, they send, tend to come together, are they yeah. tend to be linked together. Uh, Scandinavia just doesn't have that many people in it. You know? right. But I usually get kind of played a lot up there, but like it's just there's not very many people there, you know? And so. Yeah, we do.
2: It's I was gonna say with the film and t- with the, with the production music, the Nordic territories are actually pretty they're, they're not the biggest but they're they're consistent and they're solid. So that would be like Netherlands, Sweden, um, uh, Finland and and uh, Norway. Mm-hmm. In, in particular, we we're, we're, we're focused and we do pretty well.
1: So, so one thing I learned because I, I tried a few different things with the overseas administration. Um, and you were mentioning France for a while there, I had had one album that was kind of odd. It was outside of all the other publishing deals because uh, it was actually a publishing deal. It was the first thing I signed was a publishing deal, but I got the rights back. So Mm -hmm. I just kind of had this odd album. So I tried a bunch of different things with it. One of the things I did was, because when I was getting it back, I just got an email from a French publisher who said, hey, you've got this commercial license and you've got money sitting in France and the low countries. So I kind of gave him this album to, and it was weird, the set of territory, it was exactly what you're talking about. It was the weird, the set of territories that he could administer directly for me for this album. And, and there was a, a fair amount of, he caught we caught it in time. There was a fair amount of money that was sitting there from a, a commercial and then a, a, a movie. Oh, cool. uh, that yeah. was that was sitting there that was falling through the cracks and I didn't realize it so it, made, it was worthwhile for him to do this deal with us but yeah it was an odd set of territories he I believe he was doing France, Benelux, Belgium, Holland, Luxembourg and then yeah some weird Middle Eastern things like um and African things which I don't there was one there was one commercial that had been, had gone into French. So it had gone to a number of, uh, uh, you know, African, North African yeah. and African countries and Middle Eastern countries. It probably was Lebanon now that I uh-huh. think about it. yeah, Algeria, Lebanon, you know, and stuff like that. I and mean, he collected yep. money for us there, but it was an odd set of territories, which yeah. I wouldn't say to do this for most people. You know, like if you want to look for a publishing administrator and you want to do that thing where you get your rights in united states and canada and then you know have somebody else take 20 percent or whatever like that and collect your money i wouldn't start normally i wouldn't start dividing it up into a lot of different territories it's a lot but of management interest yeah it's a lot of management and it's a lot of tax forms um which is you know another thing is you can get like oh i've got this great deal you know with this territory in french but oh i'm gonna get whacked on this
2: the 26 tax,
1: yeah. This tax before it come, you know, and, and he can't even send me the money without me doing this right. thing yes. with the French tax authority and stuff yep. like that. So in general, I mean, yeah. if you're a young artist and you do get a little bit going on in the United States, it's in a lot of ways, it is really, that an administrator really earns their money. So- yep. I would say most of the time don't even do what I do, which is, you know, ex North America where you can collect your money in the States. You, you sort of have to have something going on in the United States and Canada, Yeah, you know, like have some radio play or you've got something you have something in a television show or you're playing theaters, you know, or at least, you know, 600 to 800 capacity clubs and stuff like that. Yeah. You really want to have an administrator because it's, you are administrators. Really, earn their money, right?
2: Yeah, you know, you're saying you say like, oh, play live, and I'm thinking, okay, so you got to remember to register your set lists. And oh,
1: that's a good thing to mention. Why didn't you explain that? Yeah.
2: So, so when you perform live, there's a performance royalty. Uh, the venues generally pay to pay licensing fees to the PROs, and you've performed songs, and so those songs are entitled to collect a piece of that license fee. Um, In some cases, some, some territories or venues might be testing out technology to identify the songs, but in general, you need to submit the song list to your PRO, to BMI, to ASCAP, so that you collect your money from that live performance. And what's always been interesting to me since that process emerged is it has to be the writer the publisher can't. Meaning the the the, it has to be done through the writer's writer portal or account. It can't be done by the publisher, which seems so weird to me because that's exactly what an administrator should be doing.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, um, I know. I have to do it through my writer account. Right. We we actually sometimes just do the set list from the form yeah. backstage, right? Whereas yeah. like, and um, in Europe. There, uh, certain countries they're required to collect that set list from you good there's a, there's a form so and um so not so much in spain which spain's yeah. got a reputation for being disorganized it's really kind of not um but they don't like for instance i've never like only certain venues will they bring the form for a set list to you but Germany, every single They're night, on it. bring yeah. you the list, and and I believe in Scandinavia and in the Makes low sense. countries too. Yeah, and 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 so and so sometimes you know this is you're like, well, God, what a hassle or whatever like that, but sometimes it's like eighty dollars you get back, right? I mean, it can Not be bad. significant, you know. So it's worth the tour manager, somebody spending twenty minutes filling it out, you know.
2: You um, also mentioned um, your your digital lyrics and yeah and that's that's becoming a stream as well so music match or lyric find, and and that's one another like that could be an admin's job is to be delivering your lyrics to those services to make sure that a they're accurate would be that they're collecting
1: right so i did it in a funny way i i did a license directly with genius Mm -hmm. just because i wanted to even though I was like kind of, I have a history with genius with uh, like, I had an unlicensed lyric website thing that <laughs> I, I used to do, which basically, whether I realized it or not, it helped get sort of, lyric websites were interesting in that they were an early success of the internet and getting stuff licensed. And then they began to backslide uh, in the second decade and I published um, a study, it was not really a study, but it, it was kind of a study, but it was just a list of which websites were getting the most traffic and which, and were not licensed. And I just would post this list every um, once a month or whatever like that. And then I slid into this co- sort of conversation with Genius, but then Genius, Genius actually went ahead and licensed uh, through one of the intermediaries. So, so the deal with lyric websites is that basically there are they're not they're not exactly PROs, but there's two companies: Music's Match, Music's with an X Match, and Lyric Find, that essentially license lyric websites, and you can go in and kind of deal with them, or your publisher can kind of deal with them, and then they'll license. You know these lyric websites and like for me um it's not a lot of money but it my it's probably about a thousand dollars a year for me so and it's mostly one song but it's pretty good and it's it's worth doing and uh and yeah and so what you want to do one of the good things about signing with those webs with those services is you can go in and correct your lyrics right
2: I, I think that's a big thing
1: right and it's it's important for me i have a lot of just because i kind of want it to be right i have a lot of yeah. really bad translations out there and then you know because as genius discovered that a lot of these websites were really just scraping from genius do you know about that how genius hid by using two different kinds of apostrophes they wrote in Morse code across lyrics.
2: So they can identify when it's there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah like one apostrophe, there's two slightly different apostrophes. One was a dot and one was a dash and they wrote in the Morse code, you know, this is from genius or whatever they did. Right. And so because one of the advantages of having an account direct with Genius is that um, you, you can get paid um, directly, although it's not much money, but you can control your lyrics, which everybody else is scraping and taking out into the rest of the world. So I tell people to do a Genius, and, and you can also interact with people on the annotations and stuff like that too, if you're interested I mean in correct
2: that. So, so my experience with lyrics is it can be a search tool or a, 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 a search and discovery. So I'm working on a, I'm actually doing an expert witness case. I'm, I'm acting as that expert witness on a copyright case. And I have relied on digital lyrics to identify anomalies in the rights holders or the songwriter attribution. Ah, so okay. um, so the attribution part can be very relevant. Also the rights holder part, like the copyright language on those or whatever copyright data um, associated with those digital lyrics can be really, really valuable. And also just for not just licensing the lyric, but if I'm trying to find the song because I want to license sync, I may look for right. that lyric to see who the parties are.
1: Right. right. So interesting.
2: Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I think the lyric thing is—I think having the lyrics be correct, accurate mm-hmm. is is a big deal. But I think confirming that the attribution and the rights holder, the copyright information, it, its accuracy is also extremely. Yeah,
1: yeah I think that's—I think that's like how bad stuff. I forgot about that, but I think that's how a lot of bad stuff makes its way into into cue sheets and then into yeah. databases and shit like that. It's because it's wrong.
0: Quick interjection: um, We do need to wrap this up shortly. Uh, we did go on a little bit of a side tangent on admin deals. Um, we'll have to bring this full circle when we do talk about songwriter publishing agreements. Uh, we kind of flipped flipped the script a little bit on on this episode, but um,
2: whoops. <laughs>
1: well, well, no, no, no. It's it's but it's good. See, I mean, you sort of warned us, like, oh, I know about publishing administration, that rest- we. You started talking, and I was like, "We need to do publishing administration because that—that is—is true. Like most writers won't run into a songwriter deal or a performer songwriter deal. Right? Yeah, they won't run into that. <laughs> like they yeah. may never run into that, right? And still be like, you know, performer musicians, you know, uh, you know, one you thing, know writers sorry. and stuff like that. So
2: we didn't, we didn't. You can still get an advance in an admin deal." And, oh, and, yeah. I, and, and oh, well,
1: so I, well, that's a good point, right? So the difference. so yeah, well, why don't you explain that? Yeah.
2: I was just gonna say that I, I think one of the reasons well, well, there's there's this people believe it's so there's so much cachet. I got signed, I have a record deal or I have a publishing deal. Um, but I think one of the main reasons that songwriters or artists get into deals is because they get in advance, they get money up front. It does have to be recouped. But at least they have some money to do something on the publishing side. Maybe it's record a demo, hire some musicians, do something they couldn't afford to do. And, and, and you know, traditionally, that advance has been at the getting an advance meant giving up at least part of your copyright. So, publishing deal, co publishing deal. But these days in admin deals, you can still get an advance. And, and I think it's so attractive to be able to keep your copyright but also get an advance, that's like kind of a win-win.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I never really thought about that, but um, yeah, of course you want an advance, You know, one of the rationales for getting a songwriter's deal or a record deal, but a songwriter's deal is, to, yeah, like to either sort of flesh your works out, you know, in a good way, in a real studio, you know, you, you know, with real musicians, go to Sonic Ranch, you know, if you get yeah. enough money and, and do yeah. that. And, um, but the other thing is simply to relieve you from the burdens of doing another job, whatever your other gig might be, so that you can write songs and create, um, you know, more works, you know, yeah, yeah, that's really important. Yep, And typically banks don't do that.
0: Correct. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Artist Rights to Watch. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Um, if you'd like to join in on the conversation, you can add us on Twitter at Artist Rights or on Facebook at Otis Rights Watch, or you can check out our website at ArtistRightsWatch.com. If you missed that or you want more information on this episode, please check out the show notes for further research. We will catch you again next time where we watch forest Rights. Cheers.